If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to look at 17, 18, and 19. While you're turning there, let me call your attention to a couple of things. First of all, what a privilege it is to watch all of our volunteers serving here at First Norfolk on Volvo. Uh, you guys are heroic to me. I, I watch from uh, those who are serving in our preschool and our children, uh, the welcome uh, in life groups. It is exciting to see you give yourself in service to Jesus, not, not to an individual, not to a brand, not to a, an organization, but give your lives in service to Jesus. Uh, every person who plays up here and sings up here, they are volunteers. They are giving themselves for the glory of God, and, and I'm so thankful for them. We do want to take a moment, and, and uh, this is important, because we have volunteers, we want to recognize volunteers when the opportunity gives us. No greater opportunity to uh, recognize a volunteer than on their birthday, and Caroline Harper's birthday is today. Now, she is not in the room because after they play, they go rest, I guess. But if she's listening, she probably ought to come in here. But if she doesn't get back in here in time, we're going to sing happy birthday to Caroline Harper. How old is she today? 18 years old. Uh, so uh, let's take a moment. Let's sing happy birthday to Caroline, Caroline Harper. Are you ready? One, two, three. Y'all did great. So when you see Caroline later, just wish her a happy birthday. Uh, every, every weekend, uh, you pour yourself out. And please understand, uh, this is something you do, I know, for the glory of God, for Him. Uh, not for recognition, not for accolades, not for people to pay attention to you. That's not why we serve through the church. But we give ourselves each week in order to bless God and by blessing God be a blessing to others. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, and, and it's important that we continue in that uh, because we're here for something greater than ourselves. Am I right? Uh, and guys, if you haven't picked this up, you're going to get this message today that we are here for something greater than ourselves. Uh, and we see that through the life of Elijah. All right, today as we look at Elijah, catch you up a little bit. I know you're there already, but uh, Elijah is a prophet during the time of the kings. That's why we're in 1 Kings, all right? And we've already had King David. We've already had King Solomon. Now Israel has gone through a civil war so that there are two factions. There's Judah, uh, the, the southern kingdom, and there's Israel, the northern kingdom. And they are at odds with each other. And so the, uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, has a king. And Judah, the southern kingdom, has a king. Now Elijah comes along to be the voice of God uh, to King Ahab. Ahab is married to a lady named Jezebel. Jezebel. Y'all get that? Y'all, y'all. Oh, she's a Jezebel. All right, that's where it comes from, okay? And he has come to give and deliver the word of God, the will of God, to show the way of God uh, to Israel because Ahab and Jezebel were not that committed to God. And so today what we see in this passage are some simple truths that help us understand how we are to live when we live 
by this truth that the Lord is my God. Uh, and that was what was at conflict uh, in Israel. Who is your Lord? Who is the master of your life? The children of Israel were uh, with, uh, living with competing allegiances. You all know what competing allegiances were. Uh, on this side, there was Yahweh, God, the living Lord God. The one who had delivered the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. The one who had given them the promised land. The one who had given them his heartbeat in the laws that he had given them. This is the one, the only one, who has given them a land flowing with milk and honey. Conquering foes. Uh, parted red seas. Uh, this is the God who had taken care of them. But on this side is Baal. Now, this is Jezebel's God, and it becomes Ahab's God. Baal is the God of fertility, the God of the storm, the God who brings rain. And this is the God that people in the promised land who were not of, of Israel, they were worshiping this God named Baal. Now, Baal was a dead God. He wasn't a real God. He's a make-believe God made up from the imaginations of men uh, and women. Uh, but this is a God that... They began, in Israel, began to build altars to this God. They had prophets for this God. And we see a conflict happening. Now, the children of Israel had divided allegiances. And they were trying to keep their feet on one side with Baal and on the other side with the God who had delivered them. And they were doing spiritual splits. Now, you know what happens. I, I'm not in a very stable position right now. Because I'm not really sure if the feet on this chair is going to stick. If I put too much pressure, I, I could really be in trouble. When you have divided loyalties, when your allegiance is divided, you become unstable in everything. Now, this isn't just about Baal and Yahweh God. This is about us in everyday life. Where God is calling us to be singularly devoted to him. But we have these other passions and other desires that begin to weigh in on our heart. Other people, other things, other, other ideas that begin to weigh on our heart. And we try to play this spiritual split kind of game with divided loyalties. Jesus knew that this was a problem for us and would be a problem for us. And by the way, it's a problem for you. Don't, don't try to deny it's, uh, that it's a problem because it is. It's a problem for all of us who are followers of Jesus. This is a struggle that we face. That's why James said that, that, that we shouldn't be uh, a divided person, a double-minded person. Uh, because that makes us unstable. Jesus said it this way in, in Luke chapter 16. He said, no one can serve two masters. He'll love the one, hate the other. He'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve two. You can only be devoted to one. So the question that comes to us today is, as we look at Elijah, who God has sent to unify loyalty and allegiance to the living God, where does my loyalty reside? Do I have a singular allegiance to the living God in everyday life? I'm not talking about on Sundays. I'm talking about in everyday life. And so as we look at 1 Kings 
uh, I want us to see uh, the simple truth that, that comes alive here. First of all, let, let's look at verse 1. I want you to see verse 1 uh, of chapter 17. Uh, in in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, uh, the scripture says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So here is Ahab leading the children of Israel to divided allegiance. He didn't care if they continued to worship uh, God on Saturdays as long as they had altars to Baal uh, in the backyard. Uh, he wanted them to be divided in their loyalty. And so the children of Israel began to embrace that. And they began to embrace this divided allegiance. Elijah comes on the scene and he says, As the Lord my God lives, God's going to bring a drought on this land. And it's not going to change until you change. As we look at this passage, I want you to see something about the name Elijah. Because I think it does uh, give us a message about where our loyalty must reside. Elijah, the very meaning of the name in Hebrew is, the Lord is my God. In a country, in a nation, among people, and even kings, with divided loyalties, Elijah shows up and he declares, the Lord is my God. He is the living Lord and I stand before him today. His very name revealed his character, his mission, and his allegiance. The Lord is my God. Now, here's what I want you to see. When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, when you were rescued by God's grace through faith in Christ, when he washed away your sin by the blood of the Lamb, when he born you again uh, through his spirit and by his word, when he made you a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, when he forgave you and brought you into his family, in that moment he gave you his name. We call ourselves Christian. We know what that means. It means those who look and behave like Jesus. We have a name that should describe our absolute allegiance. That's what grace compels us to. Those of us who have been captured by God's grace, those of us who have been brought into the family of God, we know that it is His grace that compels us to an absolute allegiance. You can't serve Two masters, you only have one. So as a follower of Jesus, you know, you know, inside you, you know that you must be a person with undivided loyalty. But it still gets hard. We'll return to chapter 17 in a moment, but if you look at, 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 uh, at, at chapter 18, switch over there. Uh, go down to verse 21. I want you to hear what Elijah does. Now, the drought has hit the land, and everybody is upset about it. So Elijah calls a conference of all Israel, a, a constitutional convention, you might say. And he brings everybody together, and he, and, and he calls for a contest between the prophets of Baal and himself, the one who says, the Lord is my God. And you look at verse 21. I want you to lean into verse 21. Elijah says, How long will you falter between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Here we see divided loyalties among the children of Israel. In verses 1 through 15 of chapter 18, we see it even more poignantly. There's a prophet named Obadiah. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. Obadiah is a prophet. Now, Obadiah was loyal to the Lord. But he was also a prophet in Ahab's court. So he had to be loyal to Ahab as well. You see the divided loyalties there? He had to, in public, show his allegiance to King Ahab because he was a prophet in Ahab's court. In private, he took care of the other prophets that Jezebel was trying to kill. In private, he uh, bowed before the living God. But in public, he showed divided heart, divided allegiance. Can I tell you that whether it's in public or in private, God will not stomach divided loyalties. He's not into us playing some sort of uh, spiritual or political game in order to get gain. He's not into us playing it safe and appeasing those around us, being aligned with an individual, even good people. Ahab wasn't very good. But even good people, when we align ourselves with even good people at the expense of a total and absolute allegiance to God, then we have a divided heart. Can I I paint just a little picture for you? It's it's when um, a good person, say perhaps if, if today were my last Sunday at First Norfolk, and I were to leave, and you were to say, I'll never go to that church again because Eric Thomas is my pastor. Can I tell you that you're playing with a divided allegiance? See, it's not about me. It's about the living God. When you decide that your allegiance is to a man, then you have divided loyalty. And obviously, I've done something kind of poorly in my leadership to make you think that if I'm not here, you shouldn't be here. Well, that's just silly. The reason you're here is not because of Eric Thomas or any other person. The reason you're here is because of your loyalty and allegiance to the living God. Obadiah was a good man, but he had a divided heart. And we are here today like Obadiah. Now, Elijah pushed Obadiah into public he said I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to say behold Elijah is here now here's how that translated are you ready Obadiah had to go in front of Ahab and he had to say behold the Lord is my God is here he had to take ownership In a public way, even at the expense of himself, and saying, the Lord is my God. Here's Elijah. His name means, the Lord is my God, but I'm presenting him here to you because the Lord really is my God. See, this week I believe that you're going to be put in a position where you have to either do spiritual splits and be unstable in all your ways, or you'll step up. 
and you'll show what grace compels your heart to show, an absolute allegiance to the living God. Now, when we are absolutely aligned with God, completely and totally devoted to Him, then wondrous things begin to happen. We see this, and, and, and we'll get back to Elijah in a second, but I want you to see Psalm chapter 1. In fact, the whole of Psalms, but especially Psalm chapter 1. It tells us the benefit and the blessing of being absolutely aligned and loyal to the living God. It begins, Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed. That term for blessed means filled up and overflowing with satisfaction. Blessed is the person who doesn't have a divided heart. What does a divided heart look like? A divided heart is someone who uh, walks in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. It's the person who determines that they're going to, in public, in this place, perhaps say, the Lord is my God, but in, in among their friends, other contexts, they're going to say, well, you know, God's okay, but he doesn't really change my life. The psalmist says, blessed is the man who walks not in the council of ungodly, nor sits in the sea of scornful, nor stands in the path of sinners. But blessed is the person who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night, and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season, leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's what happens when we are undivided in our allegiance to God. We become blessed in ways that we could never manufacture on our own. You see, we only have one life to live. And, and we only have a, a minuscule moment in light of eternity. We only have this time to declare our allegiance to God, to um, unleash our affections for God, to exhaust our energies in service to God. So why in the world would we waste this moment in service to a make-believe God who cannot do anything. Elijah says, stop playing with divided loyalties. How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you jump from chair to chair? If God is the Lord, serve Him. If Baal is the Lord, then serve him. Elijah puts it straight in front of us. And today, my question to you and God's question to us is where does your loyalty reside? Where's your allegiance? If you and I will sell out to service of God, then we will experience the blessings even the blessings that Elijah experienced in his life. When we sell ourselves into absolute allegiance to God, then we live by the Lord's sovereign love. This, this is not just us playing games 
with God's love. It is actually us immersing ourselves in the powerful, life-shaping, soul-satisfying love of God. We see this love displayed in Elijah the prophet. You look in chapter 17, verses 2 through 5. The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that, w- that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. Throughout this text, we see God's sovereign love. It, it commands the birds to feed the prophet. Now, you know what a raven is. A raven is a, uh, is, is a, a ravenous bird. Raven, ravenous, get it? Raven, ravenous. It's a ravenous bird that is a scavenger. And as a scavenger, it looks for meat and it keeps it for itself. But God, in his sovereign love, says to the raven, I want you to pick up some meat and I want you to take it to the prophet. And the raven obeys. That's God's love at work. He provides water from the brook Cherith. And and that water, in spite of the drought that's throughout the land, that water nourishes Elijah. Elijah was counting on God's care for him. It was provision as well as protection. The sovereign love of God looks to you right here, right now, exactly where you are, exactly what you're dealing with, exactly what you're going through, and he sees the problems and the dilemma and the struggles. He sees the difficulties that arise in your relationships, in your finances, in your work. He sees what's going on in the heartaches of your life and the difficulties you face. He sees you right where you are. And in his love, he longs to care for you in personal, practical, real life kind of ways. Feeding you food when you need it. Giving you water to drink. Where is your allegiance? See, I believe that God still sends birds to feed his people. I believe that God still provides water for us to drink. We continue the story in in chapter 17 and the brook dries up. So God says, I want you to go to a a place called Zarephath. And and that's near uh, in between Tyre and Sidon. It's not in the borders of Israel. It's outside the realm of Israel. In between Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were not talked about complimentary in the Bible. Uh, but in between, there's this village called Zarephath. And, and, and God says, I want you to go to that village. And, and there is a lady there who has nothing. But I want you to go and ask her to feed you. And that's exactly what he does. This single woman who has no husband, he's dead, who has no provision, just a little bit, of oil and, uh, and, and, and food. And, and now... The prophet comes and says, I want you to take care of me. Look at at, at verse 16. The bin of flour that she had, she was was like, as your Lord lives, as the Lord your God lives, the widow said to Elijah. She said, said, all I've got is, is this little bit. But God in his love takes our little and multiplies it and makes it a lot. This is truly what Jesus did when he had five loaves and and a couple of fish. And and he multiplied and he fed the thousands. This is literally what God does 
for us, for his people, when we are absolutely devoted to him. In his love, he provides for us. So verse 16 says, The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to Elijah. Today, we need to understand that this isn't just a good, make-believe, mythic story that has no bearing in our everyday life. Jesus Christ is here today to pour out the love of the living God on us to saturate our soul and soak it with this life-giving love so that we are protected and provided for. The widow's son dies. And she's distraught, the only one that she has left in this world, and he dies. And Elijah comes along, and he says, God's love won't let that happen. In a miraculous way, God gives life to the widow's son. That is how his love works. Today, I know it can be hard to give your absolute allegiance to the living God. I know it can be hard to not be caught and captured with a divided loyalty. But God's people can find peace like a cool spring morning through God's powerful love. When our bin is empty and our jar is dry, when death even destroys life, it is God's powerful love at work in us that magnificently will display his power toward us. But we have to live by his sovereign love. We've got to wake up in the morning and go to bed at night and go throughout the day and say, I I don't know how all this is going to turn out, but I do know this. The Lord God loves me and he's going to take care of me. So I'm going to align my heart with him. No matter what that might cost in this world's economy and and, in the way people measure stuff, I'm going to align myself with the living God. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what the circumstances are going to bring, but this is one thing I know. My bin may be uh, uh, empty and my jar may be dry and death may be all around me, but my God who loves me, he's going to take care of me. Oh my goodness, what a difference that makes in our life when we have the confidence of God's love to provide for us. Live by the Lord's sovereign love. The second thing I want us to see is when we're absolutely loyal to the living God, then we can delight in his victorious power. Uh, Here's what begins to happen. Uh, Elijah says, okay, now's the time perhaps for the drought to end but we need a contest between Baal and God Baal is an impotent God he's not a real God he's a make-believe God but the living God the Lord God Almighty the one who is my God he is powerful and living and strong and he's already purchased the victory and so he goes to Mount Carmel and he brings together all the prophets of Baal 450 of them and he lines them up he says I want you to uh, put uh, your sacrifice on an altar and call Baal to light the altar up. And the prophets of Baal begin to dance and gyrate all around that altar and Baal is silent because Baal is dead. 
Elijah then, all alone, he stands before the altar to the living God. And he says, drench it with water. Soak it up. It doesn't matter. Because my God lives. And he lifts his voice to heaven and he says, oh God, will you consume this altar with your holy fire? And fire falls from the throne of God and wins the day. Elijah was banking his life on the victory that God would bring. Now, can I tell you something that's just awesome? Is that we live in greater power than Elijah experienced in that moment. The power in which you and I live as followers of Jesus is a power that is exceedingly great, beyond imagination, beyond the ordinary kind of idea of power. We live in the victory of this power that literally raises the dead. In Ephesians chapter 1, listen to what Paul writes. Paul's praying for the people in the church at Ephesus, and he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That he might give to you that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you might know what is the hope of his calling on your life. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. And then here it is. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. See, there is a victory that's greater than any victory ever seen in all of human history. It is the victory of Jesus over death, over hell, and over the grave. This is the victory, the power of the resurrection that God pushes toward us who believe. You live, guys get it, you live in this wondrous, powerful victory that God has already provided. We need power to face the testing and the trying storms that rage against us and around us. I know that's to be true. But this power that God provides, it's beyond ordinary and it's directed toward us. It is fully displayed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When we are fully committed to him, then we are walking, we are delighting in a victory that already belongs to us. We live in this supernatural power that brings up life from death. We have hope. In the face of every circumstance, in the face of every struggle, in the face of every problem, in the face of every fear, we have hope. Not because of us, but because of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead and pushes that power our way every day. Are you living in that power of God? Are you delighting in this victorious power that he has given you when we delight ourselves in this victory it means that we live with an absolute abandon for the will of God the purpose of God and the mission of God we're no longer consumed with ourself 
or our ideas of the way things should be, but rather we are consumed now with what God wants. Our allegiance is to Him. And we move forward step by step, moment by moment, in that victory that is certain and sure. Are you living in that victory? Are you delighting in that victory? Stop looking at your bills and saying, there is no hope. Just stop it. Stop looking at that relationship that seems so fragile and, and, and stop saying about that relationship, there is no hope. Stop looking at your work and saying, there is no hope. Guys, delight in the victorious power that God has already made available. If all you ask is, if all you say is there is no hope, rather than ask, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? then we'll live, live a defeated life, even as a follower of Jesus. But if in the face of whatever it is that encounters you, you say, Lord, I want to delight in your victory. L let me know what you want, and I'll walk that way because I know when I walk your way, I'm walking in the victory that you've already provided. Delight in the victorious power of the Lord. And then finally, as we... Oh, can I ask you a question? Um, this divided loyalty thing, okay? So on this side is the living God who raises the dead, who forgave our sin and gave us new life in Christ, who overwhelmed death and the devil and everything that impedes our hope and gives us only despair. God, God rescued us from this. This is the God who raises the dead. On this side is a God of our own making. This, this is uh, my supreme desire over God's will that that's this God this is the God that that uh, that that we see around us uh, where we bow before uh, an agenda or a purpose or a, 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 a misguided affection whether it's work or a relationship or money or possessions whatever it is this is our God now why in the world would we be divided between the God who satisfies us completely and the God of our own making that can't do a thing for us. The God who raises the dead compared to the God who kills us piece by piece inside. Why would you give any portion of your loyalty or allegiance to a God that can't do anything for you? Except rob you of satisfaction through total dependence and allegiance to God. We need to delight in God's victorious power. And then finally, we need to nourish our souls in God's presence. See, here's what I know about my own journey. It's, it's Elijah's journey as well. But my journey is when I am most committed to the living God, that's when things can become most discouraging to me. Circumstances can twist and turn. People can turn against me. Things can go wrong. When I am most aligned to the will of God, that's when things can, many times will, become very discouraging. That's what happened to Elijah. He won the battle at Mount Carmel. And then he ran away and hid at Mount Horeb. He ran away because... Everybody was looking to kill him, and he felt all alone. He was in the pit of discouragement and despair. Again, look, chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. 
he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place and behold the word of the Lord came to him what are you doing here Elijah and Elijah said I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars killed your prophets with the sword I alone am left and they seek to take my life that's a guy who was discouraged he felt all alone have you ever felt all alone because you are totally aligned with the will of God if you haven't then you will and the reality is when we are absolutely devoted to the living God not everyone around us not even our closest friends are going to understand it and it becomes challenging it becomes challenging for us it can be discouraging I, there have been seasons in my life I, I don't know that I get depressed um, I, I know what depression looks like because I see it in others I don't know that I've ever been depressed I'm just kidding I, I, we all struggle with those depression type feelings we all do as followers of Jesus what is it that will help us when we're like Elijah and we feel all alone I am alone in serving the Lord well first of all God speaks to Elijah and says duh you're not alone I've got a bunch of people just waiting to help. You're not alone. Can I just say, there, there is a high level of narcissism that begins to awaken in us when we think we're the only ones doing what's right in the sight of God. God's got his people. He's got his church. That's good news. But that doesn't always help us. What is it that that can help us in those discouraging times. Can, can I tell you one thing that is absolutely true about Scripture? Not just the story of Elijah, but, but the story throughout Scripture. When a teardrop falls on earth, it summons the King of glory to our side. Make no mistake, God sees you. And he knows your heartache and He knows your hurt. And he wants to nourish you with his presence. Hebrews chapter 4 says it a little bit differently. It says, it says in, in chapter uh, 4 verse uh, 13, it says that there is absolutely nothing hidden for him, from him to whom we must give an account. But we, you and I, we're all naked and laid bare before him. You know what that means? It means that, that Jesus knows your hurt. He knows your heart. Beginning in verse 14, it shows us how he cares. Therefore, based upon God looking at our heart, seeing us in our deep distress, therefore let us come boldly before the throne of grace, he says. That we might find grace and mercy that will help us in our time of need. See, he's ready. To move in our circumstance, move in our life, not necessarily solving all our problems, but giving us the better solution himself. Guys, if, if we're depressed today, if we're in despair, even as those who are right with God, who are absolutely aligned with his will, understand that God desires to nourish your soul with his presence when we enter into a covenant with God 
He expects absolute allegiance from us. But he also commits absolute allegiance to us. And friends, as faithless as we may be, God himself never is. So today, if you are longing to experience a satisfied life, if you're longing to taste a full measure of God's pleasure in your life, then I invite you today to live by the Lord's love, to delight in the victorious power that he has made available to you, to nourish your soul by immersing in his presence, opening his word, listening to his voice through prayer. As your tear drops, understand, those tear drops summon his perfect love. Call upon him today, and he will answer you. You bow your heads with me, please. As we come to this time of response, My plea for all of us who've gathered here is to look first at the King of Glory, the one who lived and died and rose again so that we might be part of his family. I invite us to look to what His grace has done for us. And then I invite you to look, not only at the King of glory, but look at your own life. Are you absolutely devoted to the one who has given you hope and purpose and life forgiveness, and peace. Are you absolutely undivided in your loyalty to Him? Or are you here this morning and like all of us at different times and some of us even now, we're doing spiritual splits. And today the living God is inviting you to stop it. Stop living in the instability of a divided heart. Start living in the security and strength, the provision and the protection of total allegiance to the living God. So this morning I invite you to lay down your idols and to live immersed in the powerful love of God. Now, Father, in this moment, as we respond to your call, as we seek your heart, will you speak to us? As you call us to response, as you call us to obedience, as you call us to yourself, God, will you show us 
the glorious provision and protection that your love makes available to us. Will you show us the power that belongs to us when we live in allegiance to you? Oh God, will you show us yourself, nourish our souls with your presence. Now God, lead us to be faithful and obedient in this moment. In response to your word, in response to your spirit's work in our hearts, give us the courage to be faithful in this time of response. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.